IBEC, the voice of Irish business. Welcome back to IBEC Voices. Ireland's state airports play a vital role in underpinning economic prosperity and regional development. However, they recognise the need to reduce their carbon footprints substantially over the coming decade. In this episode, Dr. Neil Walker, formerly IBEX Head of Infrastructure, Energy and Environment, meets the heads of sustainability for DAA and the Shannon Airport Group, who discuss their experiences of implementing airport sustainability strategies. I'm joined today by Andrea Carroll, Head of Sustainability at DAA, which operates Dublin Airport and Cork Airport. Nice to be here. Thanks, Neil. And also by Sinead Murphy, Head of Sustainability at the Shannon Airport Group, which operates Shannon Airport. Hi, Neil. Lovely to be here. We'll be talking about environmental aspects of ESG as they relate to the aviation sector. Uh, Sinead and Andrea, you'll be uh, playing a very important role in meeting the country's stringent greenhouse gas emissions targets, ensuring protection of sensitive habitats, and while being good neighbours to the local community, providing a vital service to the regional economy. So I'm interested in your approach to net zero in particular, uh, and your respective ESG strategies. So I'd like to throw it open uh, with a very high level question, and that is aviation is very much in the crosshairs at the moment. How sustainable do you think it can be in the short term and in the longer term? I'm happy to jump in on that first because I'm always an optimist, uh, very much an environmental pragmatist. Um, I believe that the transition that I'm seeing happening in aviation gives me a lot of hope that we can actually create a very sustainable model of aviation for the future. The rate of change of technology is really heartening from um, alternative fuels, from technological changes from an aviation perspective, and then also in enhancements in terms of airports as well. And then the increased focus at a corporate level on ESG. So um, absolutely, I think that there is a model of aviation that can be a lot more sustainable than what we're looking at right now. Um, Whether you can take everything that we have today I'm not fully sure, but I, I definitely think there's a lot out there that's happening. Sinead, interested in your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree with Andrea. And I suppose the point also to make, and I know today's focus is on the E of the ESG, but when we talk about sustainability, you know, we're not just talking about um, the environmental, you know, the societal and the economic benefit that aviation brings to an island nation like ourselves. And I suppose speaking from um, an airport in the Midwest of Ireland, you know, Shannon has a huge um, economic impact in the region. And so when you're looking at sustainability, you're looking at the triple bottom line um, of, you know, environmental, social and economic. Indeed so. Focusing, though, on, on the greenhouse gas and the carbon footprint, how quickly do you think the aviation sector can decarbonize and, and what is the role of the airports in facilitating that? So I suppose, you know, it, it is challenging, um, the decarbonization pathway for aviation. Um, and there is a pathway that has been mapped out. You know, it will require a lot of investment. It will require some time. Um, but there is a pathway there to decarbonize aviation. Um, Destination 2050 is a, a report that was brought out by the aviation sector in Europe. And they mapped out the key uh, pathway 
for aviation to decarbonize. And it's a mixture of measures between um, air traffic control, you know, harmonizing air traffic control so that we have more direct flights. Um, also looking at the propulsion types and aircraft technology so that making aircraft more efficient, um, but also looking at alternative forms of propulsion, so electric flight, hydrogen. And of course, we've got sustainable aviation fuel, um, and that's going to play a huge role as well, particularly fuels that are fuel made with hydrogen, um, so e-fuels. There will also be required, I suppose, in the short term, um, what's called economic measures. So that's more like kind of offsetting um, because the technology isn't at scale at the moment. But the technology is there and it is evolving. So there is a pathway, albeit, you know, there is challenges and it will require a lot of funding, a lot of support from governments. um, But there is a pathway. I might jump in then on the, I think Sinead is absolutely right, and Destination 2050 gives us a really strong roadmap in terms of what Net Zero 2050 might look like. But it can be disheartening when you look at what, um, how long term some of the changes are that are necessary and how urgent and immediate the climate, um, the climate risk that we're all facing is. However, what I would, what I've seen in the time that I've been involved in aviation, which is about two and a half years, is that the there are leaps forward happening. The government have set up their own SAF task force, um, which is looking at SAF and hydrogen and alternative fueling, what that might look like. At a European level, there's a huge amount going on to try to expedite policy development in this area in order to facilitate those economic supports and that policy framework that will allow people and the innovators and entrepreneurs that we need to step into this space to be allowed to do that. So although there aren't answers today, Um, I think that the answers are evolving very quickly and it's becoming clearer what the pathway is going to look like. So the additional point that you're making there, Neil, about the airport's role in this is exactly what you said there, that we are a facilitator of both the carbon emissions associated with aviation, but also the transition to a more sustainable aviation um, industry for the future. So although our specific role is very small, I think 2% of aviation emissions um, overall, and that's out of about 3% of global emissions for the aviation sector. So um, although our actual emissions are very small, that doesn't mean to say that, um, that, they, that they're not something that we're addressing or that the role that we play in facilitating the wider emissions isn't something that we're very aware of. So to that end, starting to work on scope three is something that we are putting more urgency around. Yeah, so scope three being the, the impact of the upstream and downstream supply chain. Exactly. Yeah, and where we have influence as opposed to control, but where we have significant influence. Absolutely, because, you know, as Andrea said, you know, we're a real enabler here. You know, if if you don't have airports that can provide the fuel of the future, you know, the facilities and the infrastructure, the planes can't fly in them. So we have a huge role to ensure, you know, that that the decarbonisation of the aviation sector um, happens. Indeed. Uh, one of the IBEC trade associations involved in aircraft leasing has been trying to push the idea of Ireland as a hub for the production of liquid biofuels, although that perhaps might be an an interim solution because in the longer term, it's going to have to come from from wind energy simply because of land use issues. I'd be interested in your views on how quickly that transition might happen. And that's probably worth explaining a little bit more because I think although people who are involved 
closely in climate, carbon or aviation, understand how we can move away from biofuels to wind providing a solution that's not always clear to everybody. So for me, the way I explain it is that in the future, airports are going to have to facilitate transport with multiple different fueling types. Right now, the fueling type that we primarily provide is around kerosene or a fossil fuel based. But in future, probably within the transition period of what I would call over the next two decades, we're going to be facilitating kerosene, biofuels based SAF, potentially other types of SAF that are produced from wind energy, which produces hydrogen and then produces a power to liquid form of sustainable aviation fuels, which ultimately I think is where we need to move to, but then also electrified flight as well. So there's a lot of pressure on airports right now to facilitate that transition. And it's very complex in terms of what that might look like in the infrastructure that will be required um, to use to to support that. So Sinead, do you have any other thoughts on on what SAF will look like or fueling will look like? Yeah, I think and I think the point to make um, about, you know, when you when you talk about SAF and particularly power to liquid or e-fuel um, based on renewable energy, you know, not too many countries in the world have the wind resource, have the offshore renewable potential that we have. Um, and, you know, if you put numbers to it, if all of Ireland's aviation fuel need was to be met by a power to liquid, we'd need about seven gigawatt of renewable energy to produce that fuel. So that's currently, you know, similar to what we use as a country, a whole country's electrical um, capacity. So um, if you if you think of the context of the rest of Europe, you know, there are probably over 20 airports in Europe that have more passenger numbers than the whole of Ireland put together. And they don't have the renewable energy capacity that Ireland has. There has to be a huge opportunity here, you know, for a country like Ireland that has that capacity um, to make that um, renewable energy that could, you know, form that fuel. So I think we need to be looking at the opportunities here and not just the challenges, really. Yeah, and I, I think that's really important to tie that opportunity then with the dependency that we have in aviation. There is a, a thought or a consideration at European level in particular that we can all move to road or rail-based transport. And that is great in terms of what we can do from a domestic perspective. For, but from an international perspective, we don't have the luxury of depending on other types of um, transport. Obviously, shipping can bring in a certain amount of ca- cargo and a certain amount of tourists, but not anywhere near what aviation does or or the dependency that we have. Therefore, I think it is um, so important that we look at this opportunity that hydrogen and power to liquid presents and SAF presents for us as an island in order to support the aviation that we're going to need in the future. And um, we certainly um, have enough offshore potential for a lot more than seven gigawatts, provided we can get stuff through the planning system. Interesting that you you bring up the the topic of European policy. Um, I know that the European Commission has an action plan for grid, an action plan for wind. Uh, Do you see much in the way of legislation that's driving your specific sustainability strategies? I'm thinking of Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence Directive, I, I think that there's a huge amount of legislation that's out there now. What I what I'm a little bit heartened to see is that the EU has slowed down in terms of creating new legislation because um, the legislation that exists right now, CSRD, so the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, the Associated Due Diligence Directive, which puts a lot of pressure on boards 
um, and other requirements in terms of reporting and sustainability, national climate action plans, the European Buildings Directive, the Renewable Energy Directive. There's a, a lot of legislation out there. And what we don't really need is a lot of new legislation. What we need is implementation of the legislation that exists and supports for business to be able to do that. Um, for any medium-sized businesses maybe that are out there that aren't fully familiar with CSRD and the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, I would encourage them to start looking at that now because the amount of businesses that come into the fold that won't have considered what that looks like is absolutely huge. And it's um, putting a huge amount of pressure in terms of resources in this area and focus on this. It's a really positive thing from my perspective, having been in this industry for about 20 years. Um, I do think it's driving a lot of change and a lot of strategy development and focus on this area, but it is a massive ask. Yeah, for sure. And I think Andrea made a really good point there. You know, for companies that maybe don't fall under the threshold of some of these pieces of legislation, smaller companies, if they're in the supply chain of bigger companies, you know, the ask will come down to them because the bigger companies have to report on their value chain. So, you know, it affects everybody. It's not just the bigger companies. It will affect everybody. And it's a huge, you know, and when you think about aviation, like one of the biggest pieces of legislation that impacts airports, and particularly speaking from our own perspective in the Shannon Airport Group, we have a very large commercial property portfolio. So the Energy Performance of Building Directive will have a huge impact um, on our business, you know, making sure that our existing buildings are, you know, the energy performance of those buildings improves and that we ultimately can get towards a, a net zero building um, for all of our existing buildings and obviously any buildings that we'll build going forward. But legislation is having a huge impact and, and you know, it will drive drive up standards and we will get there, but, you know, it will require a lot of investment and, as Andrea said, supports, you know, will be required for businesses. Resourcing and upskilling as well in this area is a really big thing. I mean, recruitment of qualified people, not just sustainability specialists, but also tradespeople is going to be really important in future to be able to deliver on the likes of the EPBD. Um, there's also national legislation and national reporting requirements that have come in in the last couple of years, too. So we fall under the public sector targets um, in terms of carbon reduction, which we apply to our airports. Um, and then there's also the National Climate Action Plan, which has targets that are relevant to airports, even if the, it doesn't specifically deal with aviation in Ireland. And then as commercial semi-states, we also report um, under the Climate Action Framework, and that feeds into the government's National Climate Action Plan. So, and a lot of this is quite invisible to the public in terms of reporting and what the requirements are, but it's quite extensive already before CSRD has even come in. So a bit like a, a swan, it may seem effortless on the surface, but there's a lot of paddling going on underneath. And I'd be interested to know about the process that you've undertaken to develop your respective uh, sustainability strategies in terms of involving staff, involving suppliers, customers, local communities. Yeah. We've done a lot in Dublin and our senior leaders on what sustainability looks like and how it applies to our business. And that's been really impactful and really important um, because it allows people who really understand the business to have a say in terms of the changes that they can make um, both on the ground and then from a more strategic level that our executives and our board are very aware of that what their what obligations apply to us um, and what changes are coming that they may need to be cognizant of when they're making decisions for the future. So from my perspective, engagement and education has been really critical um, before you even put pen to paper and from a strategy perspective. 
So, yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with Andrea. I think engagement is really key, uh, particularly when you're trying to define what are the key issues for a business. Um, when we were developing our own sustainability strategy back in 2022, we did a very detailed stakeholder engagement exercise and we engaged all of our own staff, but also, a, you know, a considerable cohort of external stakeholders. And, and that really helped us, you know, focus on what were the key issues for the business and what areas, you know, were important to our stakeholders. Um, so that really set what our sustainability strategy was going to be. So I think it, it is extremely important. And Sinead picked up on talking about supply chain and how important that is um, for from a sustainability perspective. It's an area that we've been doing a lot of work on. We have our ESG strategy, which runs to this year, which will be updated um, then for next year. But a really strong focus of that is green procurement. And although it can seem quite daunting when you look at the scale of procurement, the opportunity that you have to influence um in contracts, your supply chain is absolutely huge. So we put a very strong focus on that. And within 2023, one third of all of our tenders that went out included some sustainability criteria, and some of it was quite extensive. And this is a signal to the market that if you want to do business with us, that you are going to have to become a more sustainable business in future. So bringing back to the smaller and medium businesses that may be looking to do business with us in future, making sure that you have your own strategy in place is going to be really important, even more for the future. So being aware of the circular economy transition and the government's ambition. Exactly. Yeah. And also the carbon impact that your business may have, even though it's a scope three emission to ours. So apart from uh, greenhouse gas mitigation, the, the other side of that is adaptation. And I believe that the two of you are both involved in some European work on airport adaptation. I'd be interested to hear uh, your views. So maybe just to explain climate adaptation. Um, so climate adaptation is really looking at what the future climate um, might hold and what impacts, how that is going to impact your business. So, for example, if we've got a warmer climate, if we have more frequent storms, if we have higher sea level, you know, do we need to adapt our business to be able to cope with a different climate scenario in the future? Um, so Andrea and myself are part of a working group um, as part of Eurocontrol ACI working group for climate adaptation measures um, for airports across Europe. And really what that um, working group is bringing forward pieces of guidance, best practice guidance for different types of future climate scenarios. And it's great. It's, it's, we're working with other airports. We'll see, you know, what other airports the issues they have to deal with and how they're adapting. And of course, it's going to be different. You know, we are not likely to have the extreme heat that some of the airports are across Europe and things will be different for us. Um, But it's really good to collaborate and learn, you know, share our learnings across the group. And it's a really worthwhile group. Yeah, it's a very it's a very useful forum from that perspective. Um, it's also really important, though, to understand that the difference between weather events and climate change. Um, and obviously, Sinead and I do a lot of work on that. But I think for the public to understand that it's not just weather impact, it's also transitional um, climate risk impacts that that may have both on our business, but also on on every business, really, because as weather changes, as climate patterns change, people are going to make different choices in terms of maybe when they come to Ireland, where they do business, how long they spend in certain locations, where people want to live as well. So all of 
these risks are not only applied from to land and how we use our land also they'll apply to how we um, build our businesses the decision make the decision choices that we make i would do a lot of work with investors as well and there's an awful lot of talk from an investment perspective in terms of what assets are going to be stranded in future versus what assets we want um will we'll be able to maintain going forward because of what the economic and the climate risks are going to look like um, and that also has an impact on the choices around uh, airport infrastructure and making sure that we can develop the most uh, resilient and climate resilient airport infrastructure to be able to provide um, infrastructure for the future. So I think there could be some valuable learning for other companies about how you're approaching your own scope one that's the actual emissions from site and your scope two that's to do with electricity use um, and how it might be applicable in the, in the wider economy. So I suppose the the first place, you know, when you when you start looking at decarbonisation, obviously our scope one and two, which are our own direct emissions, are our key focus, and and they're the, the emissions that we are subject to national mandatory targets of. Um, so we are committed um, to reducing our scope one and two emissions by fifty one percent by twenty thirty, and reaching net zero by twenty fifty at the latest. Um, So we've developed a detailed decarbonisation roadmap um, for our operations and for an organisation like ourselves, you know, our biggest emissions will be from the buildings we operate. Um, So that's the heating, the cooling and the electricity that we use. So at Shannon, we have a detailed plan of work set out over the next seven years to get to our 2030 targets or six years now. Um, And it'll involve, you know, retrofitting our buildings, upgrading the fabric, changing our heating and cooling systems, um, moving away from fossil fuels. We're looking at heat pumps. It'll also mean building uh, renewable energy. Um, We're currently in the process of designing uh, a PV farm. Um, We'll also be looking at our fleet and transitioning away from fossil fuels. So we've about 40% of our fleet now transitioned to electric and that will continue over the next number of years. Um, So there are key decarbonisation measures. And and I think when you, you know, when you look um, if you're a business and, and you're looking at where do you start, I think, you know, starting with, an energy audit. You know, you, we did a very detailed energy audit of our airport buildings. Now, very, very detailed. Um, so, but it tells you, it gives you the information and understand that data, you know, what's causing your biggest emissions. So then you can put plans in place. So I think starting with something like an energy audit, and there's plenty of support out there. You know, if you look to the SAI or you look to Enterprise Ireland, there's there's lots of support available. Not um, not forgetting IBEC's own low carbon roadmap. Which absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so similar challenges that, that are being faced by DAA. I think there's an awful lot of media focus on the scope three emissions, but scope one and two emissions are what apply to the public sector targets right now. Um, and we're, we have the same challenge as, as Sinead outlined there in terms of 51% actual reduction and then also energy efficiency targets as well. Um, so we've done a lot of work at both Dublin and Cork Airport. We've produced a carbon reduction strategy for Dublin Airport and are doing the same for Cork right now. We also report under the SAI MNOR reporting scheme under which Cork Airport was identified as the most energy efficient um, public sector business over the last two years as well. So an an awful lot of work happening there. But as Bertie said, a lot more to do. Um, 
So part very similar challenges around renewable heat and how we're going to transition or find options for renewable heat. That's a really big national challenge that we have to look at as well. And when you're trying to heat something like Terminal 1 air, air, at Dublin Airport, um, that becomes a really, it's a very old building. It manages a huge amount of, of passengers that come through. That's a really big challenge to not disturb the operations of the business, but to be able to move away from fossil fuels. Also, Scope 1 and 2 includes the generation of any um, any energy on site so we would have generators on site and we're trying to find alternatives I think there is kind of an assumption that solar panels are going to be the answer to everything solar panels are not the answer to everything even if they were we still need to provide grid capacity cabling um, infrastructure to be able to support that we're also an airport so there's challenges around Clinton glare as well so I think that there is sometimes a disproportionate focus on scope three emissions scope one and two are um are a big challenge for us to meet as well but we are really happy that we are on the road to that and working very closely with our partners in that area so i'd like to thank Sinead and andrea both for your contributions today i would very much welcome a further debate particularly on sustainable aviation fuels and we may well have a follow-up podcast specifically on that at some future time but in the meantime i just wish you both well with your sustainability journeys. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of IBEC Voices. To explore our full podcast offering, please visit ibec.ie slash podcasts. IBEC, the voice of Irish business.